Hey, hey, welcome back to another episode of Middle Class Rockstar. My name's Andy Sido. I'm your host. I'm sitting in my teaching studio down in Castle Rock right now. I've got some students coming in very shortly, and I thought I'll lay down the monologue real quick. Pull out the audio box and the headphones and the mic and get it done. Um, I had a super weekend. I played keys uh, with Places. They're a local Denver band that hasn't played a show in five years, and they did a lot of really cool things and uh, had a lot of big shows and a big record, and this, these were their final shows, and they didn't have a keyboard player, and I was honored I got to I got to play keys. More on that later. Tyler Paul Glasgow, the front man for that band, will be on the show next episode later this month, but my guest today is Miss Olivia Rudine. She was involved in these shows as well. She was the opening act at the Little Bear on Saturday night uh, for Places, and her and I met in college originally and she ended up getting a publishing deal right out of college and moving down to Nashville so she's on the show today Olivia is a fantastic singer-songwriter she's done a lot of really cool things she's gotten some placements one of her songs was performed by Gunner and Scarlet last season on Nashville um, we're gonna hear that track in just a minute as well um, I've been trying to hone in after after the first two episodes. I'm trying to hone in on specific themes, at least for some of these episodes. I know the the first episode with the Greyhounds, we were able to talk a lot about what it's like to be in a band for 20 years and touring and backing up JJ Gray and things like that. And it was really cool. There was a lot of cool stuff going on. The last episode with my buddy Anthony Catalano was also great. But as I was listening back to it, I was critiquing myself a little bit for all the different directions we were going in. And it was it's really cool, but with some of these episodes, I decided I kind of want to maybe hone in on a specific topic. So this week with Olivia, we're talking about her story. We're still hanging out, shooting the shit, but we're also honing in on the publishing side of the music industry. Um, she talks about what she likes about it, what she doesn't, um, some of the opportunities she's gotten, some of the companies she's been with, how she's gotten some cool opportunities. Um, and at the same time, has talked about her recent experiences touring and living in Nashville and all those sorts of things. So anyway, without further ado, here's my conversation with Miss Olivia Rudine. How are you? I'm good. It feels super early in the morning and it's not... So I don't know what that says about me as a human. It says that we were up really late last night. We were. Yeah. Playing a show. Yes, playing a show. I feel uh, like we need to clarify. Yeah, that. we were. Yeah, we. <laughs> 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 Olivia and I were up together late last night uh-huh. playing a show uh-huh. at Lost Lake um, with a lot of other awesome songwriters. Yeah. And actually, when we played a show. We were up late <laughs> on Friday night too, <laughs> also playing a show. All the nights. Yep. 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 And. You're going back to Nashville tomorrow? Yeah. Aww. Flying on 9-11. Oh. It was cheap. Really? Yeah. Is it cheap tickets on 9-11? It is, I yeah. guess I, I guess that makes perfect sense. I haven't yeah. really... I, I wouldn't have thought it would be something that I would get nervous about, but I was like about to click buy, and I was like, ooh. So, yeah, I'm sure it dissuades some people. Interesting. I'm... I'm flying on 913 and I think the prices went right back up. I'm they sure must they have. Yeah, yeah. So, oh, shoot. This next, is that time. podcast where we talk about 911 conspiracy theories, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, exactly. Good. I'm in the right place. Um Yeah, I man, that's been that has been like a lot of years now. It, is that that's one of those things we were in 4th grade, right? That's one of those Fifth, like maybe. I feel like you're younger than me. No. No. <laughs> no. Did you graduate high school in 09? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I am younger, but I think just like probably by a couple months. Okay. You just got that baby face. I just got the baby face. Um, yeah, that's one of those events like that in Michael Jackson's death where you remember right where you were. I don't remember where I was when Michael died. Really? Yeah. That's, you, we were Does like that seniors. Make me a bad musician? Kind of. Yeah. Okay. Well, sorry, Michael. Mm. I was on my way to Wahoo's Fish Taco to work a shift. Mm. Yeah. So. Um, great stuff. Mm-hmm. Anyway, to, back to the music. <laughs> so you're uh, you live in Nashville. You moved to Nashville. I guess what has been five years. Yeah, I just hit my five year Nashiversary uh, in June. Do you guys is that a, do you guys do parties for that? Is that like a birthday kind of thing? No, or? I don't. I, I could have. I guess I feel like any excuse to drink is is uh, 
taken in Nashville. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, that's probably, I think that's true most other places too. True. Yeah. At least yeah. if you're traveling around with me. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, so let's go, let's go back to, we, we met in college, mm-hmm. but let's go back to East High School. I did go to, it sounded like you said yeast. High yeast school. High School. Let's go back to Yeast High School. No, I was, um, I was doing it like a Ron Burgundy thing, like where yeast. I wasn't sure of myself. Yeah. Um, okay. The teleprompter. Mm-hmm. Uh, East High School, you're a junior, senior, whatever, and you decide you want to do music. How did that all happen? When did that settle in? Yeah. Um, it was actually a little bit before Yeast High School. The yeast hadn't <laughs> risen yet. <laughs> um, when I was in middle school, I started a band, and uh, it was for my friend's bat mitzvah party, which bat mitzvahs pay, y'all, and bar mitzvahs as well. That's when you turn 13? Yeah. If you're Jewish? Yeah. Okay. And you become like an adult in the Jewish community, and your parents spend a bunch of money on a party. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's sweet. Mm-hmm. I've been to one. Yeah. So I started that band. Uh, we were called Panic Button and then The Panic. And we played a lot of Blink-182 covers. And uh, that band stayed together all through middle school and high school. So I was, like, performing a lot. And um, I don't know. I wanted to do it, but I, I was, like, scared to put all my eggs in that basket of, like, I'm going to be a professional musician. Because I really didn't have, like, a template for how that worked or, like, many examples it was either just like you're the guy that plays in the coffee shop or you're Mick Jagger and I didn't really know what was in the the middle if you will right right there's a lot in the middle it turns out yeah there's a whole lot yeah um and so then you ended up going to CU Denver did you go there all four years or did you start somewhere Uh, else I started at uh, the University of Puget Sound in Tacoma random what no you didn't yeah I didn't know that about Uh, you I went there only for a semester um it was a lot uh it was a lot of that whole not putting my eggs in one basket idea so I thought it would be financially responsible to get a liberal arts degree what is what is Puget sound it sounds like a music sounds like an audio engineering school (laughs) it is uh the sound is the god I should know this it refers to that body of water or or bay or something. A sound is like a, right? An inlet. Uh, uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a geographical, like, feature. Okay. Maybe, it has to do with water. Maybe I'll, um, I'll consult a water expert or just a normal person who knows yeah, that. Yeah, just someone who's... And, double, and fact check it. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, yeah, it wasn't a, a an audio related school but um you were still playing at that time I was trying to I was trying to figure out the Seattle music scene but living in Tacoma which is 45 minutes away and a totally different place but yeah I came back and UCD totally sold me by one of the the like counselors just name dropped the fray and was like you know Isaac went here and I was like oh my god (laughs) (laughs) I should go to see you Denver got me and then yeah I finished finished out my my degree there and you so you just did one semester at Puget yeah yes and then and by January you were enrolled at CU Denver I took a semester off oh Um, okay okay yeah which and then I did the last three years I guess at CU Denver Okay, and so, so you I still only had to go to school for three and a half years. That's messed up. <laughs> and so you were you were still out spring of thirteen. Uh, spring of thirteen, yeah, that's when I graduated. Okay, I missed graduation though. Oh, I was about to say I think I remember you there, but obviously I don't. I'm seeing things. <laughs> Some other girl with brown hair. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's I think three of those in the music department. Yeah, there were a lot. Um, right on. And then I know. I guess shortly after college is when you moved down. So how did that all happen? Because it is, it's uh, it's risky to just say, hey, I'm going to move to Nashville and just be a musician, you know, because no one's True. had that idea before. And, yes. And you did it. So what was, what led to that? So I started going to the Durango Songwriters Expo, 
this can be like a shameless plug for them, right? Yes, it's absolutely. pretty cool. It's like a wonderful thing to do. Um, <clears throat> I'd I'd gone there for like five, not five years, but I'd gone five times, and kind of built up connections there. And that fifth time I went, I met um, a music publisher from Nashville who was interested in signing me, and I'd kind of. I'd wanted to go to either LA or Nashville just to try to kind of swim in a bigger lake, I guess. And that was my big like neon sign pointing towards Nashville. Like you could maybe have a job and make a living. So I flew out there, I think it was like a few months before graduation and wrote with this company's it's called the Song Factory. I wrote with their writers and just kind of met with them and got to know them. So then, yeah, I was like pretty soon after being done with school, I moved out there and um, started working with them. That's awesome. And you were, and so you would have gone to LA if they were based there. I think so. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's a lot. I mean, I I love spending time in LA, and there's a lot I like about that scene. I think it's intimidating, like, financially, if nothing else, to try to go, like, the cost of living is a big barrier. But it, it intimidates me traffically, too. Traffically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you've been, you went down to Nashville, started working for the Song Factory. Yeah. And that was a full-time gig? I guess so. Um, I, uh, I, I mean, I focused on it as if it was... Yeah. Whether or not the pay was commensurate, I would uh, write five days a week, sometimes more than once a day, and really, I was I was still focusing on my artist stuff, but also just trying to write songs to pitch and for film and TV, and just trying to write like as many songs as I could, hoping that you know, obviously hoping they were good, but still just trying to put a lot of stuff in in the hopper and seeing what works and back to that in just a second because i yeah. i wanted to i wanted to ask you what was the song that song factory heard and they said we want this gal or was there multiples or mm. do you remember was there a moment was there a line <laughs> our eyes just locked across <laughs> the room <laughs> there was there's a song called feel alive that i wrote while i was at UCD I think I wrote it for Owen Quartz for his singer-songwriter class um I played that at the the live showcase at Durango um and the like the president of the company or whatever and their main investor were watching and I guess they liked that and then uh the Jennifer Johnson is the name of the the publisher Jennifer had a, a listening session at Durango as well and someone I'd been co-writing with, Frank Maroney. Yes, who you're Frank still co-writing with. Yes. He played a song we'd written. And I think one other person played a song I'd written with them. So they got a chance to see me perform. And then they kind of got some a few more glimpses into like other stuff I'd been doing. Cool. And yeah. is, is that song that you did at the showcase, is that out? Is it anywhere? It's not released, but I think there's videos of me doing it live. Mm, I'll be sure to include a video um, in this podcast for the audience. (laughs) Thanks. Um, So then we're going back to you're at the Song Factory, and you were saying that you're writing, you're focusing on your artist career and writing songs to be pitched. Is there a difference for you? Is there, this is an Olivia song, this is a... Tim McGraw song or somebody similar to that do you categorize it like that or do you just write songs I think in the moment I just try to write a really cool song that me and my co-writers enjoy I mean obviously if we get started down the track of like a very of super country song or a super like really really pop song or a song that's obviously a guy song then I know sooner that it's not not going to be for me but I think sometimes it's just whatever like resonates something that I feel like I'd want to say 
And does that change your approach if, if uh, in the second verse, it's clearly about a guy heartbroken that his girl left him, so you're not going to be singing that song? Does that change your writing approach or any emotional attachment to it? I don't think so. Uh, I think it's... I think honesty is like can be pretty universal, so it can still hit me a certain way, even if it's not something... I would personally say and I like getting to sort of inhabit other characters or other people's brains I think that's sort of the fun for me and I think more and more it seems like at least in mainstream country which is kind of king in Nashville it's almost like people are scared to do that now like Johnny Cash didn't actually shoot a man in what Reno to watch him die yeah, right? he did it. He did it just for fun. He did it. Yeah, I think he was paid or something. Yeah, he, yeah, he shot him. But uh, <laughs> no, it's like, but he he could sing a song in first person and play a character and have fun with that. Yeah, and it, you think there's less of that going on in Nashville it now? It seems like it. Yeah, it's it seems like a lot of times you'll you'll pitch a song or something and the feedback is like, well, that's not something like I would sing or. Which I guess kind of contradicts what I was just saying about picking songs for me as an artist. Right. Um, but I guess the... I don't know. I try. I I hope I try to explore a little bit beyond like my circumstances and my experience. Yeah, I've been, been play a character's role here and there. Yeah. But role playing, you know? Aren't... Yeah. Spice things up. Right. Right, which we just played a show last night. That's we the only reason we were up late. Last there night. was no role playing whatsoever. Maybe in a couple of the songs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you so oh shoot, what was I gonna ask? Um a lot of the songs you hear though, like major country singers sing, I don't know if those are maybe it's something they would sing, but I don't know if it's always realistic to their life. You know, you don't always true, throw yeah. the touchdown pass and and marry your high school sweetheart. Not that that. Not that that's every single song, of course. But I hear <laughs> a lot of those, and it, I, I personally wonder. I'm like, well, did you though? Yeah. You know, and it's okay if, if you didn't. It's okay if you didn't, of course, because we because we do want to be other characters and stuff like that. But sure. um, I sometimes wonder too. Well, what what about the song about the QB who, you know, was the second string and didn't get to play <laughs> in the final game, and his high school sweetheart married the starter? I don't know. Oh man. <laughs> Well, that's a sad song, I guess. Yeah. Or maybe it's more of a like, it's okay. We can write that. We'll call it second string. Mm, there you go. There you go. I like it. I like it. I think that's. I think we already got a hook. Yeah. Second string. Hey. Hey, Charles. Cool it. All right. That's uh. That's Charlie. We're doing this out in my backyard. And Charles. Charles sometimes likes to bark when he sees a squirrel. Charles is in charge. Charles is in charge. All right, he's behaving now. We'll let him stay for now. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get into the business of publishing a little bit. Sure. How does it work? What is publishing? I'm not sure if it does work. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. It might be a, a broken business model. Um, no, I guess at the... It's most basic. It's sort of like publishers are to songwriters as labels are to artists. Um, they're investing in the intellectual property, like the content, the songs, and employing songwriters, usually who are paid some sort of advance to live and be creative and be writing songs that then that uh company has ownership of and why and why are you thinking that perhaps it doesn't work is it similar to why we're not why labels sort of aren't working anymore yeah i think i mean everything is really shifted um a lot of the money that would come in from that ownership of a song was mechanical and now mechanicals are like dead because no one's buying right. CDs or downloads or anything really. Um, well, and for our listeners that don't know, mechanical yeah that that comes straight from 
those those are hard copy CDs, mm-hmm. correct? Or, or hard, yeah, or yeah. now downloads, yeah, yeah. But that's the a royalty that you get from the sale of a song. That that you don't now get when your song is played on streamed on Spotify or yeah. Apple Music. And there is there is a royalty like rate attached to that, but it's just much 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 lower. Yeah, yeah. Those royalty uh, those royalty sheets look pretty sweet from Spotify. I gotta say. Yeah. Like it's like eight pages long, and then I got like a dollar. It's pretty. It's hilarious. Yeah. You have to laugh, or else you'd cry. Yeah, yeah. It is. It is hilarious. But you know what? I, I'm, you know, I'm thankful. <laughs> if anybody will listen. This is true. <laughs> this is very true. Um, so your experience with a publishing company. You were with them for how long? I was with that first company for three years. Okay. And. I think it's typical, at least in Nashville, I think two-year deals are pretty typical or a year with an option for another year. And uh, then I had a year there between deals. Was Now, was Song Factory, was that a year with two options or was that just a three-year deal? I had, I think I had a year with four options. Oh. And then we kind of just got to a place where it just made sense for us to split ways. It was... It was amicable, and um, that company has kind of morphed into something else now. And I am I'm with a new new company now, so I think that's that's also pretty typical to not for a deal not to necessarily live out its full life. Similar to a label, yeah. <laughs> and who yes. are you with now? A company called Deluge, Deluge, or as my dad would pronounce it, Deluge, which I think is correct. But I feel pretentious saying deluge. Ah, uh, yeah. But your dad has no problem with it. No, he's like an English major, and he took French for a few years in high school or something. Oh, yeah. So pretentious—that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Dad. No, your dad's a very cool guy. Hello, Mister Rudine. I've gotten to chat with him on many occasions. Um, and he was there last night. He was there last he night. He was there, ready to party. He late. Drank his whiskey, and he didn't heckle as much as he usually does. <laughs> See a heckler at your show? Oh yeah. Like it's, what is what does he say? Uh it's you know play something we know or uh play something good is his new new favorite, I think. Uh, but usually it's it's more positive. It's like requests and you know. He doesn't ever throw things though. It's just a verbal He heckler. hasn't yet. Mm. That that's happened to me once at a show. This guy was throwing oyster crackers. What? Yeah. Like playfully? I don't know. Can you playfully I think, throw an oyster cracker? I guess if there's if there's a food item you could throw playfully, it might as well be an oyster cracker. Yeah, it certainly probably n- can't throw like a tomato playfully. No, that has all those connotations of right. like you suck being in like the the stocks in the town square and like yeah 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 right. Um, and so the, you're at you've been at Deluge <laughs> for about a year. Pronounce that again. Deluge. Oh, you just sounded like um. Steve Martin in the the new uh, Pink Panther, that whole scene where he's like, "De burger, hamburger, de burger, hamburger." I, you know, I didn't see it. I think I saw like portions of the first one. Yeah, the first one's well better. I'm lame, I guess. Anyway, deluge. Um, I say deluge. And with them for about a year, how's that going? Yeah, it's awesome. Um, I just yeah, I just started my second year with them, and it's a young company, but the the people involved uh, know what they're doing and have, have been involved in other ventures before. Right. Um, and they've just been incredibly supportive as far as letting me kind of just do my thing and trying to augment what I already have going on with, you know, throwing in a few new collaborators or uh, just getting me in front of new new ears and... And will they still pitch old songs, or does it all have to be things that you've written since signing with them? That's their focus, is the stuff that's in their catalog, definitely. Right. Um, there's an argument to be made that pitching older stuff, you know, if it's good for my brand, whatever that may be, um, that it's good for everyone. Right. So for Their brand as well. <coughs> yeah. So they... They're they're just big champions of of me, which is awesome. But yeah, we're we're trying to focus on you know 
deluge catalog. Right, of course. Um, and do you write a song a day, every weekday for them with somebody? And is it always a co-write? Do you sometimes mm-hmm. write on your own? Let's see. I think since starting with them, I've pretty much done, done a write a day, every weekday. Every weekday. So you you are a weekend warrior musician. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. Uh, not we don't always finish a song every day. I will say some songs take more than one session. And will you revisit if you don't finish a song with Frank the Tank <laughs> on Monday afternoon? Yeah. Do you guys crank it out on Tuesday or next time you guys see each other? Is that the goal to finish that song, or does sometimes they get stored away for a while? It kind of depends on the song. If we're excited about it, then we'll finish it. Sometimes it's just better to let it die, though, I've found. Uh, sometimes there might have been a reason why you lost momentum and why it wasn't meant to be. Right. But a lot of times we'll try to f- try to finish finish it. And, uh, yeah, Frank, Frank the Tank and I especially, um, I think we've found we, we function really well if we're – if we know we can take more than one session and that's true of just, it just depends on the song and the collaborator. And right. Yeah. Right. And by myself, I, I've been writing less frequently by myself, which is unfortunate. I need to like focus on that more. Um, but that tends to happen more just when inspiration hits. Right. That's so. less of your job. Yeah. But everything you write, do you take to them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I am. I'm contractually obligated to turn in, which turning in really consists of sending uh, a lyric sheet and like an iPhone recording of the song. Um, I'm supposed to turn in everything as soon as it's it's completed, or I guess what we consider completed at the time. Or, or else. Or else. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'll be like tarred and feathered. It's in the contract. <laughs> oh geez, I want to take a look. let me take a look <laughs> at your contract next time. Yeah, yeah. Um, how often do you do demos? I, even if it's just a quick Garage Band or Logic demo, how often do you demo these songs? It's it's becoming more and more common in Nashville that the people you're writing with are producers or like track guys is kind of the term or track girls. So people a lot can of do time, a lot of different things. Yeah, and a lot of times someone's building someone more talented than me is like building a track while we're writing it and like able to multitask and sometimes you'll leave the room with like what sounds like a demo like a full-on they'll be putting it together while you're writing it yeah that's cool it is cool and it's i mean it's it is becoming really common and so i would say maybe maybe half half the songs i write end up with like a really solid recording attached to them half yeah that's huge yeah it's amazing and then songs where there wasn't a producer in the room or or maybe there was but we think it needs kind of the like full studio treatment then sometimes we'll book a session and get get some musicians and demo stuff out but that's less common now it's more kind of just someone in a home studio doing everything in the box and which it goes right along with the DIY thing that everybody's yes everybody's getting into. Everybody's doing a million different things. Um, what have you got in place? Uh, I guess some of the more like notable ones. I would just like the listeners to know that Andy just threw a peach pit right past my head. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Yeah. Um, uh, our buddy Sam Sam Lee is also in the backyard and he brought us coffee and peaches and I was going to wait till afterwards to eat my peach and it just was looked really so good. juicy he yep. just couldn't resist couldn't resist yeah much like Samuel Lee he's very juicy just can't resist as he lights a cigarette by the fireplace <laughs> <laughs> what was I talking about uh, what you got in place <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> uh, you guys should check out Samuel Lee though um Recently, uh, I got a song on my friend Ashley McBride's album. Uh, she's a country artist signed to Warner. And that was 
cool that was my first like cut on a major label album um and it's doing well people like it it's a song called the jacket and let's see i got a song on that show nashville everybody's dream yeah yeah that is the that's like the coolest placement you could get it's a a cool it's a cool thing yeah and the the actors sang it and it was like you know part of the it wasn't just in the background it was like part of the show and that was one called as the crow flies and then what episode was that on it was in season five i want to say it was episode 17 maybe okay i should know this i never I watch every episode, yeah. but I never got to see that episode, and I actually like looked for it, yeah. but our, whatever our provider was, got only gave some episodes, so oh, I actually man. still just need to go U- YouTube. Yeah, I think you can just look it up. I think you can just Google as the crow flies. And, and that's Gunner playing clip. it, right? Gunner and Scarlet, Gunner's, yeah. Man, duet. that is like, not only did you get a song on Nashville, you got like the most awesomest duet doing it as well <laughs> most awesomest yeah yep. I, I remember season one you know they're when they were just getting started playing together season one season two just like man everything they sing together is awesome yeah they have really great chemistry musically for sure it, yeah it's uh, the the show's great and even though it's t- it's totally just it's totally a soap opera oh yeah um, and you know, I would never normally admit to watching soap operas. I tell <laughs> everybody, I say like, yeah, I love Nashville. Yeah. Like even the later seasons. Yes. Mm-hmm, still love it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, which is, so that's, that's so cool. That's such a cool placement to get. Yeah. I was really excited about that one. Thanks for listening to Middle Class Rockstar. We're going to take a super short break. If you like what you're hearing or have any questions or comments, please email me at middleclassrockstar at gmail.com. Before we jump back into the interview, we're going to take a quick listen to Olivia Rudine's version of As the Crow Flies. I've wasted your time I'm sorry, my Thoughtless and careless Oh, I was And like a ship in the night I watch you pass by I wish that I may, I wish that I might get back to you the quickest I can. One of us, or two of us. Yeah, I cross the world. Hold your hand I wonder in this time Yeah, I just realize And there's the crow fly As the crow fly As the crow fly Here in 
and I'll get to you the quickest I can. Oh, Um, what what do you want for the future? Do you have any specific? Are you, I mean, obviously, you kind of have to go with the flow in what you're doing. Um, True. But what's if you could have a song placed by one person or in one television show, mm. what would it be? Would it be Would it be Steve Martin and Pink Panther three? That's it. Yeah. yeah, you nailed it. I would love to get. I'd love to get a song uh, in a trailer. I think that would be badass. Um, I would also, as far as Nashville stuff goes, I just think getting a getting a song placed with uh, with Little Big Town would be like, okay, I can I can quit now. They're like one of my favorites. So Little Big Town, getting a song recorded by Little Big Town mm-hmm. and placed in what trailer? Probably like Transformers or, you know. That would be so <laughs> awesome. Who's starring in this version? Uh, I don't know. Was, that, was it Shia LaBeouf did like, one of them? Is that right? Yeah. Are we on like Transformers like 7 by now? Yeah, Transformers 7. Who are the stars? I think it's Michael Sarah this time. <laughs> <laughs> Could he be a Transformer? Uh, Yeah, he's the Transformer. He's not the, the human star. He's a Transformer. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I like it. I the like fact it, I like checkers it. are going to have a field day with this episode. I they think. think so. We have Do you have fact checkers? Uh, no. Yeah. Hard no. Okay. No fact checkers. All right. Um, I maybe one of these days. Yeah. You can work your way up to invest it. Invest in that. Yeah. I'm my own fact checker. I mm-hmm. make my own facts. It's dangerous. Yeah, it's dangerous. But you don't want to live in the world of Andy. <laughs> um. So what did you do? Going backwards a little bit. What did yes. you do? In that year between pub deals? Uh, I spent a lot of time playing and booking live shows, which was good because I'd kind of let that go since moving to Nashville. I'd really focused on writing a lot and just out of necessity of like needing to make money and make a living, I ramped up my booking efforts and that's been really good and i've i've continued that in this past year i think i've slowed down a little bit recently but that was a really good experience that i that i hadn't had before of really having to think like with a business mind about live performances of like okay now this is going to pay bills so got to be did you have did you have something else that you were doing for income in that year I did yeah i was nannying Oh. Was probably d- <laughs> oh. well. No, that seems to be a uh, a fairly common songwriter job. Yeah, it like, was. I know great. quite a few songwriter nannies. Yeah, it was. It was actually really awesome. the The kids I nannied were sweethearts, and the family was really cool and and very flexible. I was able to take time off if I needed to go on tour, and I would I'd go pick up the kids from school at three ish every day so I could write in the morning. How old? They were at the time, I think they were like eight and s- no, nine and six, but there were two six-year-olds, twins. Uh, and, and you have twin brothers too. I do. So you're used younger to taking care of younger twins. Yeah, I guess so. Although with brothers, it's, it's taking care of, but also like... Torture. Yeah, that yeah. too. And that doesn't fly when you're the nanny. Right, right, right. You end up on like 60 minutes or something. <laughs> 60 minutes nanny torture. Yeah. Maybe yeah. you could get a song placed in that trailer. That would be great. Just ominous tones. <laughs> <laughs> and so now that you've 
you took that well after you took that year where you were doing more live performing um do you feel that now in this last year you've been able to combine the two more the writing and the performing definitely yeah that so out of necessity i kind of found a balance that i wish i'd found earlier because they really it they feed off of each other i mean you know like there's that thrill of writing a song you're really proud of and that's a whole cool experience in and of itself but then getting to share that with people on stage like really kind of completes that whole that whole feeling and and it helps me to it helps me to take breaks from Nashville just because it's kind of this I don't know you're in this fishbowl and everyone you know is doing music and everything everyone talks about is music and what people like or respect or value in Nashville is sometimes different than what like a typical audience would right enjoy mm-hmm. and sometimes you forget that and you start writing songs for your friends who are songwriters like to try to impress them or writing songs yes. for your publisher because they want a certain thing and not writing songs for like people i always feel that when we do the the songwriter things a little bit that we did the denver song songwriters um which sam in the backyard here runs um and i always you know you have four songs and when i do those four songs in front of you know at an open mic or wherever you know at a solo show i'm not afraid to do all my new songs like i don't care i'll play anything yep but then last night i'm always sitting there like well i should pull this one out you know i only have four chances and that kind of is a weird mindset to it's strange yeah but you really want i mean you want your friends to like what you're doing so and i think that does inspire growth for sure but sometimes i think uh growth or like, I don't know, trying to impress someone just for the sake of trying to impress somebody, then I think it becomes counterproductive sometimes. Right, right, just that, just having that pressure is not necessarily a bad thing probably yeah. every once in a while. Yeah. So where's some of the places you got to tour to? Um, Samuel and I went to Europe for 10 shows. That was super cool. Um, we played in Germany, France, Belgium. No, we didn't play in Belgium. We just went there. Uh, Luxembourg, Holland. That was amazing. I want to get back there as soon as I can. How was was the audience? Did you feel the audience was different than a typical American audience? Or is that an ignorant question because Denver (laughs) and Fort Collins have different audiences? Uh, Definitely not an ignorant. There's no ignorant. There are no ignorant questions, only ignorant people. Hey, I'm the the interviewer here. (laughs) Like you. Um, no, it was definitely different. We found in, everyone was very friendly and receptive and like excited about us being there and the music, which was so cool. Um, I remember though in Holland, we noticed that our humor did not go over very well and it might just be that we're painfully unfunny people. Did it, does it normally go over well? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, maybe people funny. are usually more like lubricated by alcohol or something. Um, but that we'd make jokes and they were very like colloquial or they were very American idioms or something. Uh, and it would just be crickets. And that's rough. It's a, a little bit. And also that I think at least in some of the shows we were we were told later that it was a sign of respect for people to be very quiet, very attentive and not as interactive. Um, so maybe not, maybe they acknowledge something you're saying is interesting or funny, but they're not, you know, cracking up about it. Mm, ha ha. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to be silent about <laughs> this joke. Exactly. But the we found like there was just a really high level of like appreciation and respect for, for like singer songwriter type, stuff it was really cool did you change your approach in different markets or do you just try to go out and do the olivia thing every night i think mostly i try to just do the olivia thing whatever that is um shows where i'm mixing in covers you know longer shows where i have to play for two hours or three hours 
sometimes I'll gear that towards the audience. Uh, you know, if I'm playing in Alabama versus playing in New York City or something. Right. Try to keep that in mind. But um, usually, yeah, I just try to do I do my songs and then I do songs that I love and hope that people enjoy it. Right. Um, and then going, shooting back into publishing for a quick yeah, second. Yeah, yeah. You're, you were mentioning how you're not exactly sure if the system works. Yes. Um, and of course, it's the, it's ever changing. So true. I mean, the the industry is ever changing. So what, for the publishing industry to work, in a way that you think it should work, what would, what would that be? And in sort of a, uh, a subsequent question, do you think if you did not have a publishing company, you'd be able to pitch things on your own and get placements on mm. your own. Wow, that's a lot of that's a whole lot you of questions. You can field those in any way, <laughs> in any order you choose. Um, so I guess when I say that the model is not working, I guess there's two sides of it. There's like what what publishing is, just the 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 base of you know collecting monies being earned by these songs, and that whole thing is. I think what's w not working about that is just that the way we consume music has changed and it hasn't been valued appropriately. So like those streaming royalties and everything. Um, then there's the other side of publishing, uh, what a publishing company will do, which is that pitching songs to artists or to film and TV. And that, that has started to shift just because a lot of artists are either wanting to write their own songs um, or their kind of their access to songs has changed. They don't rely on a publisher to come in and sort of open their like figurative briefcase and be like, well, I've got one of these up tempos. And, you know, they don't rely on that direct pitch of a publishing company bringing them an array of songs to choose from. They might hear a song they like online or their manager might play them something or their friend might. There's just so much access that you don't necessarily need the publishers to be that that conduit for content. Right. And I think sometimes when that happens, um, the circle of songwriters that are getting stuff placed can shrink just because there's an overwhelming number of songs uh, and there's not, I don't know, there's, for an artist to be picking songs for a project, sometimes they'll go with, just name recognition of okay this person has already had success and um i think if there was a i don't know how to do this but if there was a more egalitarian way to for songs to be presented for these projects um if truly like the best songs were winning i think that would be amazing and you'd be okay with that even if you developed a, a big reputation and you started you started getting a lot of gigs based on your name. Would you be okay with that? That's a really good question. Um, I, it probably would be a different conversation, honestly. You yeah. know, um, that's yeah, that's fair. But I think if I there's a lot of people who have worked their way up to the top of that hill and put in the hours, and and many of them who are still writing the best songs. I mean, not to say that I think if you write an undeniably great song, something will happen with it. That's what I always come back to if I ever find myself complaining about the, the industry is, you know, well, be better, you know, try to try to improve your craft. Um, and I don't know what the what was the second part of your question? Uh, I don't remember anymore. <laughs> I Yeah, we went off somewhere else. I just I blurted it all out. We'll we'll talk. We'll talk. Oh no, we t it was about if you don't have a publisher. Oh right, can right, you right. Still pitch your stuff. Right. I think it's 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 one of those uh, those things with the the way the whole digital revolution has changed things that it's made kind of like I was just saying it's made access simpler and also more complicated. Um. I think it's easier to be in touch with these people, just to be in touch with music supervisors or A&R, just because of the age we live in and the way communication is, you know. Um, 
Like I have a friend who's just connecting with a, a manager for an artist via Instagram DMs. Like there's a variety of ways to to get in front of people. But then again, it's those avenues become so oversaturated because everyone can do it. So there's a lot more for people to wade through. Which would be is maybe one of the tricky problems of what you're saying. If literally the best song got taken every time, you know, it was a big pond of songs and you don't know who the writer is that would be super cool because an yeah. unknown writer could get a song placed yes um which i guess happens anyway but you know unknown writers could get songs placed all the time but that yeah. would could also make things really difficult too because it it's is true. there are so many so many songwriters yeah it, it, it's true and i think um i think in terms of film and tv placements i think that's way more accessible to an independent artist really i think not that it's easy to get into. I'm still trying to figure it out. I've had a few like moments where I've gotten lucky, but um, I think it seems like music supervisors and they they kind of just want to be a fan of something. They just want to find music they like and an artist they like and someone they want to support. So if you're able to make connections, maybe through something like Durango or there's a few other similar conferences or expos i think there's if you can find a if you can connect with somebody who's a fan of what you do um then i think in some cases it's even preferable for them to work with independent artists because there's less red tape and you can just be sending them songs that you you know produce in your home studio and um i think that world is it that there can be it can be tricky to get into but I think that's a huge world of opportunity for for independent writers and, and artists. It can be done. Yeah, totally. In this in this day and age, and we should take another minute too to mention the Durango Songwriters Ex- Expo for any songwriters yeah. out there. We went to college together, but I think we didn't really ever hang out until one of those expos one yeah, year. Yeah, I think we we bonded at we bonded Durango. We bonded at Durango, which is not in Durango, Colorado. <laughs> True. It's uh, there's two main ones twice a year. I, I think the first weekend in October, there's a Durango Songwriters Expo in Broomfield, Colorado. Yeah. And then the other one is what last weekend February in Ventura yeah. or yes. something. Now. Uh, yes. I yeah. haven't been since it moved to Ventura. It used to be in Buellton. And then I think they do a few other they do a few other things throughout the year. But it's a really great community of songwriters, and it's a lot of the same people, and it's super welcoming. And I th- I think they only allow two hundred people in so it's still a very small group but you get to network with people and then you get to pitch songs on a couple separate occasions to music industry professionals and there's opportunities to showcase and it's just a it's kind of incredible because they've a lot of artists have gotten deals such you know such as you have gotten deals out of the expo and a lot of great things have happened and at the same time it's still such a small family community where everybody knows each other's dog's name so <laughs> it's a cool what's I, my dog's name i don't know your dog's name but i <laughs> but jim's i just thought of that because of jim's dog oh is your dog's name spot it's actually charlie but she's a girl not like charlie, charlie that was girl. barking oh earlier. we have charlie girl and charlie boy oh yeah really oh i thought you meant those two dogs were both named charlie over there no no just we just have one charlie dog and it's a boy and your charlie dog and my a girl. charlie dog's a girl yeah. she's not here right now no no she's <laughs> Here in spirit or something. <laughs> She's alive. Just, just something She's clarified. alive. Okay, yeah. Um, Jim Atterbury's dog recently. I think she's alive. Well, I guess it's been a year or two now. Yeah, Lou. Lou. Rest in peace. Lou dog. Yeah, he, uh, Jim Jim always brought his dog to the expos. But it's a great community of people. Um, so if that's something, if you're a songwriter and you're interested in doing, go check it out. Yeah, that's that's like probably the first thing I recommend to anybody when they ask about getting into getting more connections in songwriting or furthering artist stuff and it's it's cool because you kind of have this like focused attention um of these industry professionals like they're kind of trapped in a fun way like with you at this hotel for a weekend and people that if i was to in nashville to go knock on their door or give them a call they might not take that meeting but it it kind of puts you on more of a level playing field i guess um 
So it, it's a really good way to meet people from some of those music centers like LA or Nashville uh, without having to go there. And along those lines, what else would you recommend for somebody wanting to get connected with more songwriters or somebody interested in in the industry? I would say from a songwriting perspective, um, I would say to start co-writing as much as you can if you're trying if if you're trying to go that route of you know like a staff songwriter type gig um just to get those skills sharpened and uh, i would definitely say to spend time i think you need to spend as much time as you can again if you're going that songwriting route uh in either LA or Nashville just because that's that's the epicenter um so if you're able to make trips and something like Durango is really good um to make those connections prior to making a trip like that but I'd say if you could spend time in those cities and kind of be writing or be networking or you know like people really like to talk about themselves so buy someone a cup of coffee and pick their brain and just try to learn whatever you can um but i think it's important to just see that makes me feel bad that i totally didn't buy the coffee mm. sam bought the coffee sam bought the coffee it's okay he's a better person than we yeah will ever apparently be. yeah um yeah and especially if you're a student you can totally milk that i use that a lot like you know i'm hey i'm going to school at ucd and i'm studying music business and I would really like to ask you questions about X, Y, Z. That uh, that helped a lot, just collecting that information. Um, and I would also say just wherever you want to be, whoever you idolize or whoever, whatever career path you're most interested in, like you have to, you have to like be a consumer of what those people are creating, you know? Absolutely. So... Uh, I when I started trying to go down that road of writing for other artists, I just started paying more attention to what was on the charts and what the credits were and maybe paying attention to a songwriter's catalog more than an artist's catalog and seeing, trying to find consistencies in what they'd written for different artists and just trying to be like a student of people that were doing what I wanted to, wanted to do. That's a really, that was a really great answer. Oh, cool! Wow, I thought you're gonna. I thought you're gonna. You know, title three books and or something <laughs> like that. Um, yeah, that yeah. I can't read, Andy. You yeah, know this. I know, but you're a gr you're a great writer. Yeah, but yeah. You Never learned to read. You take a uh, you take a uh, a note taker with you to the writing mm -hmm. sessions. Right? Yeah, little known fact. Little known fact about Olivia Rudine. <laughs> um. Well, I think that about wraps it up. Do you want to maybe just briefly go through a basic writing? Well, that's maybe a basic writing process. I don't <laughs> want to say that because it's not, but what is really quickly talk us through a co-write you yeah. show up in the room, maybe with a brand new writer, what happens? Yeah. Usually, um, I try to bring an idea to the room. Um, and that room being there's space at my publishing company or we'll go to someone's house or someone's studio, kind of wherever works at the, the crack of 11 a.m. It's pretty much the common start time in Nashville. And I'll try to bring something, usually like either a title or um, a snippet of like a verse. Sometimes the well is just completely dry though and I just show up and we'll kind of talk our way into an idea. Um, but yeah, usually someone kind of spits something out and then whether it's a musical idea, a lyrical idea, both, and then you kind of just start building from there. Um, I think when you're really comfortable with someone, it's sort of like you're just writing by yourself anyway. You can kind of just sing nonsense until it isn't nonsense anymore, and you can, you're not afraid to say things that are stupid to get to something that isn't. Is that tough when you meet somebody just for the first time and you gotta write a song together? Yeah, definitely. It's kind of like, 
it's a lot like dating so it's kind of like a going on a blind date sometimes and the chemistry like may or may not be there I think the more that I've co-written though I've gotten less self-conscious I'm more able to just like kind of put my my thoughts out there knowing that that's only going to help us come up with a better end result but yeah it definitely it can be it can be really hard and it can be nerve-wracking if you're writing with someone you know you really admire or I honestly find it more nerve-wracking to write with friends who I haven't written with before um because it's someone that like I feel I guess I feel more concerned about you have expectations for each other yeah exactly and you don't want to you don't want to let someone down and and oftentimes I mean my friends are some of my favorite like yourself included are some of my favorite writers and musicians so it's like that double whammy of like someone you know and then they're like really awesome at what they do and you just don't want to show up and suck we've written together before but it's been a while yeah, I, I think we wrote in this backyard. Did we? Yeah, we we wrote one back here. I remember, and there were like hot dogs involved, not in the song, but that like was. I think that was. Was that still in college though? Because hmm. I lived in a different house then. No, I, it was this backyard. It was this backyard. Okay, there was one time where we went to King Supers. Yes. I think that was in college. We went to King Supers and we ran this. into Chris Heckman, mm-hmm. who places played with uh this weekend at the gothic theater just weird coincidence Mm -hmm. he was there like with his girlfriend or something oh yeah and yeah i don't know what we were doing we're probably picking up hot dogs (laughs) (laughs) most of my life is just time spent between hot dogs hot dogs and songs i think Mm -hmm. the last time i probably ate a hot dog was writing a song with you actually (laughs) (laughs) we gotta come to nashville because we have a daddy's dogs Mm. It is heaven. All right. I'm in. Mm -hmm. Well, thanks so much for sitting down with me. Appreciate it. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Andy. There you have it. Another episode of Middle Class Rockstar in the books. That was Olivia Rudine. She's awesome. It was great catching up, seeing what she's been up to, talking about publishing. If you like the podcast, please like it, rate it, review it, all that good stuff. It helps me out a lot. I want to take a quick second to give a shout-out to our sponsor, Patrick at PQ Mastering out of Las Vegas, Nevada. He puts the finishing touches on this podcast, and he can put the finishing touches on your audio as well. For more information, go to www.pqmastering.com. We're going to play it out right now with another original off Olivia's new album. The song is called Weather Vane. All right, have a good one. We'll see you in two weeks. Chasing young love like a new gold
Khan's got the moves to make your booty go. Wait, how does your booty go? Bah. Back? Does I, you... Is it a word there, or is it just like a ba? Is it like a ba? Ba. Like a sheep situation? Dr. Wait, who? Lil, Lil John. Lil Dr. John. John. He's not a Dr. John's got the moves to <laughs> Dr. John's got the moves to make your booty go. <laughs> go bah. <laughs> <laughs>